0: I long for the days when a little bit of road rash on my knee was my biggest concern of the day. <laughs> I was just given a little status report on a little bit of a skin knee. Does anyone else remember those days? Yeah, those were those were good days, and uh, it's interesting to live vicariously where those days are being lived out in my boys' lives right now, where skin knees and things like that are the biggest concerns. I know these last couple of weeks or month has been. A little chaotic at times, uh, more than a little busy, and it's interesting when I come home from work or, or whatever's going on, and I'm maybe a little bit stressed. And then Theodore, all he wants me to do is push him in the swing. If I push him in the swing, he is happy, and I could do that for an hour straight, and that would just make his day. And uh, I said to him one time, "Can we trade jobs for a day?" where I sit in the swing and you go to the office and you do my work. And he thought about that for a minute, but he thought, nah, you can keep doing your job. So no swing time for me, but it's amazing how uh, we, can, we can live out, um, we can be reminded, I should say, to live out our, our faith as children, to be childlike, to not be so caught up in the stresses of adult life and to see in our children that God wants us to just live day by day with him And uh, it's a good reminder for me as a dad today. I would invite you to bow with me just once more and let's ask God to bless his word. Father in heaven, we just thank you that in spite of all of the complexities of life and all the things we have going on from day to day and week to week, that you have called us to come to you like children, to be childlike in our faith. It means to just trust you completely, um, explicitly, and, and to just spend time with you that like uh, my son would love nothing more than just to spend countless hours just on a swing set, that in a lot of ways you want us to be like that, to not overcomplicate our relationship with you, but to spend time together and to make time for that. And so I pray, Lord, that today we would um, see you the way you have been portrayed to us through your word, that you are a good father, a loving father who loves us unconditionally, And I pray, Lord, that no matter how far we may have strayed from you or your ways or your example, that we're never too far to come back home. Uh, Thank you for that promise, Lord. I pray that this morning that you would speak through your word, through me, your servant. May the words be yours, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, as we've all been well aware and reminded of, today is Father's Day. And as the Canadian Tire... Uh, uh, advertising campaign has g- done a good job of reminding us with, their uh, Get Him the Gift He Really Wants TV commercial campaign. Has anyone seen those, some of the, uh, the suggestions given of uh, what a dad would really want? Apparently, wool-knit sweaters and things like that aren't what dad really wants. Who knew? <laughs> anyone got a wool-knit sweater this morning? No? Okay, I think everyone's figuring it out. We can thank, uh, we can thank Canadian Tire for that. Now, of course, the reality is that Father's Day, um, often in the hierarchy of holidays as perhaps one of the lesser holidays, um, dads often go unappreciated. And of his own father, the famous author Mark Twain once wrote this, When I was a boy of 14, my father was so ignorant, I could hardly stand to have the old man around. But when I got to be 21... I was astonished at how much the old man had learned in just seven years. (laughs) Now, if you think about that, doesn't that just about sum up being a dad? You spend all of the formative years of your child's life trying to instruct, teach, provide, and all of the things providing discipline and, and all the things that go along with it. And all the while, the kids look at you and think, this old guy doesn't have a clue what he's talking about. Until they become the old man and suddenly realize, how did dad do that all? And it's amazing how it comes full circle like that. Yes, it just shows that being a dad is a challenging and quite often thankless job. But the fact remains that now more than ever, our country, our town, our church, and yes, our kids, they need godly dads. It's been said that God has ordained three institutions here upon this earth. The home, the government, and the church. But the oldest and greatest of these institutions is the home. For as the home goes, so goes the church. And as the church goes, so goes the government and the nation. It should come as no shock to anyone here today that our nation, the country of Canada, has been steadily going away from God and his ways for a very long time now. Now, though it's easy for us to point at all the things that are wrong, it's easy to blame the darkness for being dark, as a church collectively and as believers individually, we need to also look in the mirror and we need to ask ourselves, yes, the darkness is doing what darkness does, it's being dark, but are we doing what light is intended to do? Because light is intended to shine in the darkness. Just as Jesus came and said in John chapter 1, I came to shine the light in the darkness, this is our job as believers. And so we have to ask ourselves, as we look at an increasingly darkening world around us, are we, the light, carefully and intentionally shining that light, the light of Christ, in such a way as to influence this current generation back towards God and his ways? Because you see, Satan And the influences of darkness are never going to stop trying to influence this generation away from God and his ways. But what are we as a church, as parents, and specifically as fathers, what are we going to do about it? It's very easy for us to look at all of the negative influences, to point them all out, to lament the state of affairs, and then just throw up our hands and say, well, what can I do about it? But as fathers, we need to accept that according to God's word, the buck stops here. Ezekiel chapter 22 verse 30 says this, I searched for a man among them who would build up the wall and stand in the gap before me for the land, so that I would not destroy it, but I found no one. Now, of course, the context of that passage is Israel has disobeyed God, the country has fallen into ruins, and here in a picture of desolation, God is looking for godly men who would stand in the gap and rebuild what had been torn down by the enemy. And so in a lot of ways, I think our nation parallels ancient Israel. So much that God has been, that has been built up that is godly and good in this land has been torn down. And we see the rubble all around us. We see the brokenness, the families being torn apart, people and this generation being pointed away from God. And again, as in the days of Israel, God is calling for men to rise up, to stand in the gap, and to rebuild. In that day, God said, I looked throughout the land and I found no one. And so, for us as men here today, God is still looking who will he find? God is still looking for us. And so let me ask us as fathers today, what kind of leadership are we providing for our families? How are we influencing our community back towards God? And finally, what kind of a legacy are we leaving our children and grandchildren and those yet unborn? The word legacy is defined as anything handed down from the past as from an ancestor. So your legacy is whatever you will leave behind for your children and their children to come. Now, we often think of legacy in terms of passing on our wealth and our property. There's terms out there about legacy planning or legacy transition or or things like that that most often refer to your estate, your holdings, whatever you physically own or have. For example, some of you are legacy farmers That is, you are now working the land that your fathers owned before you. But this morning, I want to focus our attention in on the type of legacy that the Bible talks about a great deal, and that is your spiritual legacy. Following the exodus from Egypt, while Israel was still wandering in the wilderness, God spoke to Moses and gave them the recipe, if you will, of how to establish a spiritual legacy of godliness that would enable them to prosper in the land and then endure for generation upon generation. If you turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 6, and let's take a closer look at the passage that Henry read for us earlier this morning. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, and there, verses 1 to 3. These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you, and so that you may enjoy long life. Hear, O Israel, and be careful to obey, so that it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. And so here we see God is saying that if they follow his ways, his recipe carefully, the results will be threefold. Here are the promises. At least three generations will fear and follow God. So Moses' generation, his children's generation, and his grandchildren's generation. He he goes up till the third generation. That's the first promise. The second is that they will enjoy a long life in the land. And the third promise is their descendants will multiply and enjoy the fruit of the land. Now, basically, if we were to summarize, isn't this what we all want for our families? Don't we want them all to fear the Lord, to follow him, to live long, healthy, God-fearing lives, and then to pass that along to the next generation? You know, when I was a kid, if you had asked me, what's the greatest dream you could have for your life? It might have been to be rich and famous, to have a million dollars or something crazy like that, but honestly, today, this is my dream. This is my greatest hope, is that my family, to follow after me, will fear God and that I will see it up until the third and the fourth generation. That is my dream for my life. This is what I want, and I think this is what we all want. But the catch is, now as then... We have a part to play in this. God said to Israel, be very careful to obey. And so too, we have to be very careful and intentional about following God's recipe, not our own. I recall way back in kindergarten, doing this exercise where we were told to make up our own recipe for chocolate chip cookies. Now I don't know whose idea this was, must have been my teacher's. I don't know if they still do something like this. But the idea was all of us kids were given a recipe card and that we were given the list of ingredients, but it was up to us to determine how much of each ingredient to put into the recipe. Now, I don't know whatever happened to my recipe card. My mom rarely throws anything away, so I'm assuming it's kicking around somewhere. It'd be interesting to see it. Mom might have to dig that one up. But if memory serves, I remember putting down something like 10 cups of flour, four eggs, Eight, uh, 8 teaspoons of baking powder, 6 teaspoons of baking soda, and of course, at least 5 cups of chocolate chips. Because you can never have too many chocolate chips, right? We were then told, after filling out this recipe card, to then actually take it, go home, and to attempt to bake a batch of cookies following this recipe. Now, I suspect that in doing so, my mom may have subtly adjusted some of the figures to maybe reflect reality a little bit more closely, but needless to say, we still we attempted to bake those cookies, and they were absolutely terrible. They were so bad, after one bite, you, you couldn't possibly stomach taking another one. I even remember trying to feed some of those cookies to the dog, and after one bite, the dog wouldn't eat anymore, so... <laughs> that can tell you how amazing these cookies were. Now, in the same way, when it comes to establishing a godly legacy, if we try to make up our own recipe or to just try to wing it as we go along and then still expect a good outcome to the second, the third, and the fourth generation, we're sadly mistaken. We are playing the fool if we think we can do it our own way and still end up with good results. This is why God stresses repeatedly hear, listen, observe, and be careful to obey. So let me go on to share with you four key ingredients from God's word for establishing a godly legacy. And though this morning, of course, the focus is specifically on fathers, these principles can apply to anyone at any stage in life. Of course, they can apply to mothers, they can apply to those who are looking ahead to their futures. No matter where you are in your life, these principles apply, but this morning they'll be focused specifically on fathers. The first ingredient is this, fathers love your heavenly father. Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verses 4 to 6 continues, hear O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Much later, the Lord Jesus re-emphasized this greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. And he added, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. So basically, what this is saying is love God with everything you've got. Give it all you have There is not one sphere of life where you cannot show your love for God. It encompasses everything. So it begs the question, what does it look like to love God with everything you've got? Well, of course, here we could go on to some lengthy theological explanations, but I'll try to keep it simple this morning. In John 14, verse 15, Jesus summarized what loving God looks like when he said this. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. doesn't get much more simple than that, does it? The other day, I was, forget what it was, I was trying to get Declan to do something, he wasn't listening or obeying, and uh, one of the things he's learning the fine art of doing is to mitigate my anger or correction by throwing compliments at me. And so, he wasn't obeying, but... He saw I was getting upset, and so finally he turns and says, Dad, you're the best. I just love you so much. And I'm just like, oh, this guy's guy's good. He's a real schmoozer, trying to take the edge off my anger. But I looked at him and I said, you know what, Declan? If you love me so much, then obey me. And he stopped and thought about that, and then he followed through. But honestly, it was the first time in my life where this has really clicked home. Showing love means obedience. Many years ago a young boy was asked this question. How much do you love your mother? To which the young boy replied, I love her with all my strength. Pressed to explain what he meant by that, the boy replied, Well, you see we live on the fourth floor of this tenement apartment and there's no elevator. And the coal is kept way down in the basement. Mother is busy all the time and she isn't very strong, so I lug the coal up the four flights of stairs all by myself. It takes all my strength to get it up there. That's how I love my mother, with all my strength. Notice how this little boy measured his love for his mother, not by his feelings, but by his obedience in service to her. Simply put, loving God means obeying and serving God. So rather than evaluating your love for God solely by how strong your feelings are, Instead, evaluate how strong your obedience to God's commands are and your efforts in his service. This will give you a far more accurate measure of your love. And what I've discovered is that my feelings of love towards God grow stronger the more I obey him. So this is ingredient number one. Love God with everything you've got. Don't hold anything back. The second ingredient is this. Fathers love your wife. In Ephesians chapter 5 verse 25 we read this command. Husbands love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now this command is as radical today as it was when Paul first penned the words. In fact many wives out there would be completely utterly shocked if their husbands started to love them the way that Christ loves the church. There's a story told of a man who one day decided at the end of work that he was going to just show his wife how much he loved her. And he realized he'd been maybe taking her a little bit for granted. And so before going home, he showered, shaved, put on some choice cologne, bought her a bouquet of flowers. He went to the front door and knocked. His wife answered the door and exclaimed, Oh no, this has been a terrible day. First, I had to take Billy to the emergency room to get stitches in his leg. Then your mother called and said she's coming to visit for two weeks. Then the washing machine broke down, and now this. You come home drunk. (laughs) Now, husbands, I will freely admit that I am preaching to myself as much as any of you on this today. Loving your wives sacrificially does not mean only taking them out to a nice dinner once a year on your anniversary, although for some that may be a good start. But what I'm really getting at, and what I believe scripture is really getting at when it says, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church, what this really means is every single day, not just once a year, not just on special occasions, but every single day. Being aware of and considerate towards her needs, so much so that like Christ placed the needs of the church above his own, so too we place the needs of our wives ahead of our own. Now this doesn't mean that your needs don't matter, but I believe that God has designed marriage in such a way as to be reciprocal in nature. Whereas the husband, you are called to lead in how you treat your wife. And if you are considerate and loving towards her, she will by nature respond to yours in kind and will love, respect, and submit to your wishes and needs in return. But it's up to us to take the first step. Just as Jesus initiated love for the church, so do husbands initiate love and consideration towards your wife. This is the second ingredient. In establishing a godly legacy. The third, by extension, is this. Fathers love your children. Dads, we have the awesome responsibility of providing for our kids and our families. But this provision must be holistic in nature. It is to be physical, yes, but also emotional and spiritual. Of course, when we think of of providing, we instinctively think of the physical necessities of life. Bread on the table, shoes on the feet, uh, a roof overhead. This is what we always think of. And though there are always exceptions to this, the brunt of the responsibility for this provision is on the shoulders of dad. And make no mistake, this responsibility is not one that any father should take lightly. God's word certainly does not. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8, Paul cuts right to the bone on this. He says this, if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for his immediate family, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. This is a very strong warning for anyone who would neglect or shirk their responsibility to provide physically for the needs of their family. Now, while of course some struggle in this area, the majority of fathers do work hard to provide for the physical needs of their family. But where we so often struggle is in providing for the other areas, the emotional and spiritual needs. Returning to Deuteronomy chapter 6, and verses 7 to 9, we read this. In extension, we've just been talking about God's commands, then it goes into verse 7. Impress them upon your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and upon your gates. Here we see a holistic approach to teaching. Not just Sunday school, not just church. Not just maybe once a week in in youth group or something like that. No, it is to be a way of life along the way. Have it ingrained in your home in such a way that we are bumping into God. Our children are seeing God. They are hearing about God. You are talking about God. But one of the things that this instruction implicitly points towards is that in order to do this, we must be present in our children's lives. We must be physically there. The cold fact is that we simply cannot impress God's word and ways on our kids or talk with them about these things if we are never there with them. Now, I have yet to discover the secret to being in two places at one time. I'm still working on it. I have double booked my schedule enough times that I've put it to the test. But every time I've done that, I've still only figured out how to be in one place at one time And the other place where I thought I was supposed to be, the other people are still upset with me that I'm not there. Now, has anyone else figured out how to be in two places at one time yet? Because if so, I would love to talk to you after the service. Anyone? No? No one? Has anyone else tried the double booking thing too? A couple of you have. It doesn't work, does it? We can only be in one place at one time as fathers. A young man was sentenced to the penitentiary. Juvenile delinquent, he was called. The judge had known about this child from when he was a young boy, for he was in fact well acquainted with this juvenile delinquent's father. The father was anything but a delinquent. He was a famous legal scholar and the author of an an exhaustive study entitled The Law of Trusts. Do you remember your father? asked the judge. I remember him well, Your Honor, came the reply. Then trying to probe the offender's conscience, the judge said, As you are about to be sentenced, and as you think of your wonderful dad, what do you remember most clearly about him? There was a long pause. Then the judge received an answer he had not expected. I remember when I went to him for advice, he looked up at me from the book he was writing and said, "'Run along, boy, I'm busy.' When I went to him for companionship, he turned me away saying, "'Run along, son, this book must be finished.' Your Honor, you remember him as a great lawyer. I remember him as a lost friend. The judge then muttered to himself, Alas, finished the book, but lost the boy. This story gets a little close to the heart for me. Because you see, most men are hardwired with the desire to provide physically, And there's a constant struggle between working to provide physically, to do a good job in our place of work or employment, and to provide our physical presence and companionship to our children. The irony was not lost on me that as I was racing to finish this sermon, I had Theodore with me because Leanne was at a doctor's appointment in the office, and as I was working on this, he came into the office and said, Dad, come play with me. And I uttered the words without thinking, i got to finish this sermon first, son. And I had to look in the mirror. What am I doing with my life and my job, and what am I doing with my boys? And finding a balance. It can't all be one way. I can't be a constant companion to my sons. But at the same time, I cannot expect them to learn, up, to, learn to grow up fearing God and loving him if I am never there. One of the names used to describe God in scripture is Jehovah Shammah. Jehovah Shammah. And it's translated as meaning the God who is there. God always provides for our physical needs. But he always places the greater emphasis on the time we spend together with him in personal relationship. Don't finish the book or the sermon or the field or the overtime shift or the hockey game and lose your child. Now I'm not saying this is easy. I wrestle with this almost every single day. But if we really truly want to influence our kids for God, we have to figure out and prioritize ways to be present in their lives. So let's review the three ingredients so far. First is fathers love your heavenly father. Fathers love your wife and the third fathers love your children. And now of course, The ribbon on top, the the thing that ties them all together is this. Fathers, set the example. Do as I say, not as I do. Has anyone ever heard that one before? Has anyone ever said that one before? I hope not, but we've all probably heard it. Do as I say, not as I do. How far does that work? Teachers, does that work with kids? Do as I say, not as I do. No, it doesn't. If you want your kids to love God, but you don't, how's that going to work? If you want your kids to prioritize church and youth group, but you show up to church on a biannual basis, what message are you sending them on how important it really is? The same applies to almost everything else in life. How you treat your mother, how you speak, how you control your anger or fail to control your anger, how you work, how you play, and literally everything, whether good or bad, our kids are watching the example we set. There's a poem written by an anonymous father that goes like this. His little arms crept round my neck, and then I heard him say, Four simple words I can't forget, four words that made me pray. They turned a mirror on my soul, on secrets no one knew. They startled me, I hear them yet. He said, I'll be like you. I've shared the story of a farmer who had toiled over a bumper crop of grain, a badly needed crop of grain, a crop that was going to pay off many creditors and secure the family for yet another year. But just a few days before it was due to be harvested, a freak wind and hailstorm ravaged the property, and the harvest was lost. The man stood with his little boy, looking over the fields of destroyed grain. The boy expected to hear his father cursing in despair. But instead, his dad began softly singing, Rock of ages, cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. Many, many years later, the boy, now grown into a man, said, That was the single greatest sermon I ever heard in my life. His father had shown him faith where the rubber meets the road. By the grace of And the power of God, I stand before you today as the third generation of the legacy set by my grandfather. A man who's been gone now since 2005. But of anyone that I've looked up to in my life, he did his very best to follow these four ingredients to the very best of his ability to love the Lord his God with everything he had, to love his wife at great self-sacrifice, to love his children, to provide for them as holistically as he possibly could in incredibly difficult circumstances. And he set the example. In all of the little things and the big things, he set the example. And I stand before you today as the third generation legacy of the promise being met in his life. And so I stand before you today and my greatest desire is to be like him and to establish a new legacy for another three generations that me, my children, and their children after them would follow again and to say God is their God, they will follow him and that they will do the same and that the chain will not be broken. That three generations at a time, God's promises are lived out. The imperative is always for us in the current generation What will we do? Will we follow God's ingredients, his recipe, or will we try to make it up as we go? Because if we try to make it up as we go, if we try to do it our own way apart from God and expect to have a good result at the end, we are playing the fool. But instead, may we look to God's word and understand that wisdom is to follow it, to obey and follow his ways, to love him with everything we have to love our wife as Christ loved the church, to love our children, and to live out the example and allow God to do the rest. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that we don't have to wonder at how we are to live our lives. Your word gives us clear instruction. And so, Lord, I pray simply that we would embrace wisdom to understand that your way is the best way, And that to obey is to show our love for you. And that in our obedience, through it, your power is unleashed. Your promises are realized to the second, to the third, and yes, even to the fourth generation of those who love you, who fear you, and who follow your commandments. And so, Lord Jesus, today we call upon your power in this great endeavor to pass along the faith from one generation to the next. And yes, to be so bold as to say, O Lord... Would you turn this generation back towards you and to use us? May not one of us leave here today saying, I have no influence. I, I don't have any say in this. Oh Lord, we each have a say by how we live. We each have influence beyond what we can imagine. And so I pray, Lord, that as we follow you, you will energize our witness, give us the strength to be obedient in all matters, great or small, And that by this, Lord, our children would come to love you, to follow you, and that they would pass this along to their children. For this is what you have designed according to your will. So may it be, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.